0: You're drowned by my perfect fire My perfect life Welcome to the podcast
1: <laughs> You sound kind of like you have a secret And kind of like an announcer at like a truck route. Yeah, I kind, of, I kind of wanted to do hybrid. like It
0: was kind of like um, an announcer Like a narrator for like a action spy film An action spy film? Talk, finish that thought Yeah, like, I don't know Like No, I mean do it Let's do a podcast <laughs>
1: You guys out there, unless maybe you do realize this, but I don't feel like anybody realizes just how hard the first words of a podcast are.
0: Really, it's it's like it's a almost it's a blank paralyzing page. sometimes. Yeah. It's just like, how do you get in? Well, well, I can do the content. Yeah, starting out and landing it—it's crazy. Welcome to the uh, word on the hill, where the linky guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzin. We could just do that too. I'm Scott Powell. You <laughs> know, we've done that so many times. Have I we, always, I always like think that it I it very few times. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really funny that I we ever say the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. The podcast. Uh, like in the golden age of podcasting, as if there is the. The golden age of podcasting. Has there been any other ages of podcasting? (laughs) (laughs) This is the only one. (laughs) I
1: I don't even know, man. I just want to go back in time, like a couple decades, and be like, hey, I want you to put all of your money in radio, but it's going to be a really cumbersome version of radio. That's the
0: future. That's where it's all at. And uh, people just have to find you, and uh, they're going to look around, and they find you or not. It's like radio, but harder. (laughs) (laughs) More complicated.
1: And slightly more convenient. And we're going to call it a golden age, because... Everybody Dude, has a
0: platform. Dude, I really wish I had a 20s version of radio announcer voice like you do. It really makes me so happy. No, thanks. I didn't – I. know that
1: was almost just an excuse to use it. I didn't really have anything to say there.
0: Dude, a couple shout-outs. Uh, Father Daniel from Florida. It was so awesome. Oh, Father Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, we, uh, all of the uh, Bay Area folks who came out to hang with us, Mikey yeah. and Becca – is awesome, Sean and Heather, and all the people. It was really fun. We managed to have uh, a really awesome time. We, we did, we kind of overbought food though, but it was still a blast, which meant we had a bunch of peanut butter cups for ourselves later on. Oh, you do not know how many dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's that I actually ate over the next week. I, I do because I know how much we bought and I know how many people ate. I <laughs> so I know precisely how many, peanut yeah, butter yeah. Cups I we ate
1: them all. I also want to give a shout out. So today, which is Wednesday. This is the day that all... No, this is Thursday.
0: This is right? the day the Lord had made. So
1: our whole Camp Boy Tewa staff, our summer season staff, is all heading home today. So I'm going to give a shout out to all you guys. It's been a pleasure and a blessing to serve with you all summer. And hopefully you're all listening to it on your long drive home, back to where you come from today.
0: Oh, so yeah. thanks to our whole summer staff at Camp Boy Tewa. Dude, podcasting goes the best in cars. It does, We yeah. should call it car casting. Car casting? Or laundry casting
1: casting. I like plane
0: casting myself. Plane casting. Airplane casting. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like I like caster casting. Caster like castor oil. Yeah, like castor oil. All right. Or or putting casters on the base of furniture and oh, pushing castors. it around. Yeah. Well, speaking of vanity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there, was, I, there were so many places I could have inserted that yeah, in yeah. this opening. That was really well done. Thanks, Our man. first
0: reading is from Ecclesiastes, can chapter we first, 1.
1: Can we pause and just say it's the 18th Sunday in ordinary time if you're keeping track? Oh, all, which yes. Which you all should be. Yeah, yeah. Eighteenth so, Sunday. Eighteenth okay. 18th 18th follows seventeenth. It, it's right after. Yep. Which is not as obvious as you might think, the way that the ordinal calendar is arranged. I know it's kind of complicated. It's anyway, weird.
0: so you were saying Ecclesiastes mm. chapter one verse two, jumping mm. to uh, chapter two verses twenty-one oh. to twenty-three. So okay. we kind of just had to introduce it with some vanity and uh, and then jump to the uh, meaty meat. Oh, okay.
1: Uh oh, the meaty meat. Yeah, because it does jump. There's a jump. Yeah. Our psalm is coming from the Psalm, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 90, verse 3 through 4, 5 through 6, 12 through 13, 14, and 17. That is a piecemeal
0: psalm <laughs> if I ever did see one. <laughs> Our second reading is from Colossians, Mm. uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, jumping to 9 through 11. Very good. And our gospel is coming from the Gospel of Luke, chapter
1: 12, verses 13 through 21.
0: Vanity of vanities. Okay. Can I just, I have to tell you something. Uh, All right. I I confess. Forgive me, Scott. Yeah. I don't like Ecclesiastes. Oh, good. I hate this book. You shouldn't.
1: Have we talked about Ecclesiastes ever before? Yeah,
0: we've done this for six years, so we have talked about Ecclesiastes, which means we'd have done it maybe twice. Right. but I don't remember having this conversation before uh but i I, mean, I assume we have, I guess, but I, this is the thing is that like I don't know how this is actually scripture. oh I, I do. I find it it's just the edge of despair. yes, that's it though. I mean, it's just despair it's 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 like the expression of utter absolute negativity yes. without like repentance, yes. It's just dark and horrible, and it's like who does that describe in
1: the Old Testament? What Old Testament incredibly famous, very prominent figure does that? Did you just describe Elijah? No, 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 no. no, Quite the opposite. What did you just say?
0: Absolute negativity.
1: Yeah, but you've, you you you
0: went on. I can't remember what I said. I don't know, but I don't, it, know, I don't, know what I don't remember what you say. said
1: either. But it was actually perfect. It's actually the description. So Koheleth, <laughs> um, Koheleth uh, is the person. So Kohel, e- it's Ecclesiastes, it, it, by Koheleth
0: the way. is actually just a translated version of preacher. Well, no, no it's a title. It's, it's a, title. a title.
1: So it, it's it, so Ecclesiastes. It comes from the Greek word, uh, which is ecclesia, right? Which so is where e- we get church or gathering. So but Ecclesiastes
0: he- means preacher, the no, one who preaches. No, that's no, how, no.
1: That's no, it doesn't, because the, the, the Hebrew version of that same term is kahal, and kahal doesn't mean to preach. So kahal, it's the Hebrew version of Ecclesiasticus, which is, which is a, the gathering. So it's not just about preaching. So the kahal, Israel was called to be a kahal, a gathering of people in a liturgical worship setting, right? So it's not just about the preaching that happens, it's about the gathering together in the name of, of God, And so Koheleth is, in a certain sense, the gatherer. So the one who is sort of head over the kahal, the one who kahals. And so the tradition, the ancient tradition, the most prominent tradition, especially among the rabbis, is that this is a book either of or about Solomon. Oh. Which tells you... Every, if you can remember and tap into the story of Solomon, it helps to explain in a really acute
0: way what this book is about. Because this and, is and not... We're, and we're not talking like um, like, uh, like uh, cuddle bears with the like, little like... Uh, uh, cute. Yeah, cute. <laughs> you see. know what
1: I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, cute. A cute bear. No, no cuddle bears. Um, um, so if this is Solomon, right? So as this book stands in the canon... Um, It's either the words of Solomon in his last days at the end of his life. So Mm, remember, we have the Proverbs, which is all these really wise, sagely sayings. But then things go pretty downhill for Solomon. And so this is either Solomon at the end of his life or a book about Solomon in the end of his life. And the reason that it stands in the canon as it is is a critique of Solomon's reign and an explanation of how his downward spiral actually took place and played itself out. Like the Nine Inch Nails album, <laughs> The Downward Spiral. <laughs> the Downward Spiral. It, it But it, but I don't know what the Nine Inch Nails uh, I album. Mean, okay. I know Nine Inch Nails. You I just avoided did, 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 like you, the plague. But... Me too. <laughs> no, you did not. I mean, I do now. I had cause... to sell iced tea at um, Red Rocks during a Nine Inch Nails concert, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh. I'll just leave that vision for you. Ice oh. tea, everyone. Who wants to buy some iced tea? <laughs> <laughs> ah, nah,
0: nah. <laughs> It was horrible. That was a horrible night. Anyway, Solomon. Vanity of I vanities. so wish you guys could have seen what Scott's face looked like when he made those noises. You know, felt, I felt it. It okay. was so cool. So
1: Solomon, remember, he was the son of David. The, there was the, all this intrigue around his coronation. So he becomes king. He prays for wisdom. And for a while, he's this amazing king. He builds the kingdom. People are coming to him seeking wisdom and guidance and holiness. Right. But then eventually, he begins to go off the rails. And where he goes off the rails, is essentially a disobedience of Deuteronomy 17. Remember, Deut- I feel like we've talked about this in the podcast before. Maybe not. But Deuteronomy 17, which predates all the kings of Israel by a lot, okay. basically is they're coming out of the Exodus. As they're going into the promised land, God says, okay, eventually you guys are going to grow into a nation and you're going to be a kingly people. And when you have a king someday, these are all the things your king should never do. Remember that's Deuteronomy 17, which is a blueprint for exactly what Solomon does. No, and the way the Deuteronomy is basically Deuteronomy 17 is structured, it's basically warns against what I call the three W's. Right. So it says, "Watch out whenever you see your king acquiring too many of these three W's." Number one, wives, women, wives, and wars. What? Why women <laughs> no, in
0: wars? No, no, no. You're close. You're, I, actually I mean, close. I you're on the right track. Okay.
1: Okay, this is great. We've I guess we've never talked about this. So wives, women. Solomon has hundreds of wives. Remember that? That's so which, problematic. Which is not it I mean, I'm sure there was a there was sexual sin there, obviously, and there's stuff, but more more than sexual I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of wives. You probably don't even know most of them. Which is more about his grasping after how do you get wives when you're a king in the ancient world? Um, alliances with foreign nations and marrying into kingdoms and nations. And so this is power grabbing on his part, right? So tons and tons of wives. Right. Tons and tons of wealth. Remember, he acquires so mm. much wealth over, over taxation. He has to have storehouses for all of his money. He's like Uncle Scrooge with the money bin. Remember in DuckTales? <laughs> That's what I always picture with Solomon. <laughs> but he's got storehouses full of full of his wealth. Yeah. And then three is weaponry or war horses, is what Deuteronomy says. Oh. Which is not that, you know, Israel's gonna become a nation. They can defend themselves, they're allowed to be protected. But once you become a nation that tries to overtake and conquer other nations. All of a sudden, Israel ceases to be what God wanted her to be. So mm, which once is s- a
0: worldwide blessing. Which is the worldwide blessing,
1: which is a different kind of an overtaking, right? So Solomon, as, as his life goes on, I mean, you see hundreds of wives, tons of wealth, and so much weaponry because he wants to expand his kingdom and take over and make it into an empire about himself, not an empire about God. And so as he goes on, he also begins to go crazy And you see him just even mentally go totally off the rails. I I just actually heard this. So I thought we had talked about the wives, wealth, and weapons before, which we haven't, which is fine. But I went back over my notes, and apparently, I don't know where this game, I don't think this was my original thought because I jotted it down from something. But I have in my notes sketched down, you know, the wives, weapons, and wealth um, juxtaposed with poverty, chastity, and obedience.
0: Oh, wow. Which is actually really beautiful. Sorry, everybody, for the outside noise. I don't think they can hear it. It's just you. (laughs) <laughs> there's yard work it's there's summertime yard yeah. work summertime um hold on so 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 hold okay. on wives wealth and war with poverty poverty what we- chastity wealth, chastity wives and obedience and obedience which is not a one-to-one is, but it's which is uh, uh, uh it's saying gallyhoo, uh, what's the gemelut has said but
1: but in, a, in another sense i mean why do you acquire um weaponry and war horses and stuff because you need to trust in yourself. Mm. You, you have to put up your defenses and your walls because you live in a way in which you believe God will not protect us, so we have to do it ourselves. Right. So I think poverty, chastity, obedience actually is the antidote
0: for this. That's actually really powerful.
1: It is. And so this is, what, so this is where Solomon is. And so the book of— um, I had a, a friend of mine who helped me understand Ecclesiastes years and years ago. He actually titled it, Koheleth Calls the Bluff. Which is really what this book is about. So if it's Solomon, he's calling the bluff. And what is he calling the bluff of? He's calling the bluff of those who believe that you can be happy apart from God. He's calling the bluff of those who believe that we can live a life of consolation and happiness apart from God. So there's five theses. Theses, T-H. As in In like theseus. Yeah. No, (laughs) theses. Basically, the book is structured on these five theses. theses. Number one, it's that God is transcendent to the point of being unknowable. He's so big. He's so vast. He's so distant that he cannot be known. And even though he's distant, he's got to be appeased through sacrifices. Just appease him through doing this things and dutifully offering sacrifice and stuff. But he's
0: so far distant; we can he can never be known. Really, so it's, that's a, thesis one. Thesis one is saying that God is so far that I that I'm gonna just try to go to measure. Like, right. like, like there's some sort of weird command. In yes. The, so, yes. I'll, yeah, appeasement. That's
1: That's thesis one. Thesis number two is that death cancels everything. Death is inescapable, and it's the period, and there's nothing I can do to defeat it. It is there. It is waiting for me, and I cannot do anything with it. It will destroy everything in the end. Death is to be feared ultimately. Okay. Death, big theme Number three, wisdom, which remember Solomon was very versed in wisdom, cannot secure my existence. Wisdom is not enough. I can be as wise as anything, but death will still get me in the end. Mm. Wisdom's not going to do it. Number four, the world stinks. The world is a crooked, evil place. Creation is crooked and evil and wants to destroy us. Mm. That's reality. Therefore, thesis number five the only conclusion is under the sun, we can only live for pleasure. Take what you can get now. Death is coming, wisdom is fleeting, all these things are passing away. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Right. That is Koheleth's conclusion on life. That is his masterpiece. That's his magnum opus. At the end of my life, this is what I have concluded. Which is the most depressing thing ever. And so which Koheleth is-, is calling the bluff on those that say that life can be meaningful apart from God. He says, I've tried it. And there it's it's nothing. And what he's doing is so this is why it's beautiful. So in a sense, um, in a sense, Solomon or Koheleth is wise in this book, too. The wisdom still shows. So he begins with the reality of death, and he extends it to everything, quote-unquote, under the sun. And he shows that death has the final word, and that tragedy covers everything. Which, what it's doing, and here's why it's in the canon. This goes back okay. to your first question. Right. What he's doing is essentially loading the dice for Jesus. He's, he's setting the stage In one of the most magnificent ways imaginable for Jesus, because what does Jesus do? He defeats death. Right. Death is the final word. That is what I have concluded. My own earthly wisdom cannot do anything to save me because death is ultimately more powerful than anything. Solve that for me. Whittle me that, says Koheleth.
0: Yeah, riddle me no riddles, polyp totem. That's a so which which is interesting is is that it all is actually summarized in a simple rhetorical device vanity of vanities vanity of vanities right I mean like if you if you point to toward, toward Ecclesiastes now the word vanity of vanities uh, is uh, is a hard word to understand because we there's a normal there's a normal translation vanity of vanities so you're saying yeah like what is vanity vanity is a surface with no substance yes it's um, a surface with no okay It's it's, it's like it's like a, a you know you, you can um you can have a well-written trash you know like <laughs> yeah. like skubula skubula um, but another way to to translate the the greek word is is nothing or nothingness yes so it'd be like nothing of nothingness yeah, yeah. like it, yeah. It, it, right. it, meaningless it's of meaninglessness meaningless of is meaninglessness, what the iv calls it yeah which is uh which is uh, the actually a similar it's a similar structure to uh to the famous words of bond Bond, James, James Bond, Bond. vanity. Yeah, it's it's diacope. It's <laughs> it's saying the same word separate. It's the That's same word separated word. by words. So it's a b a or a a b a. So it says um, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. So yeah. so it's a rhetorical device. By the way, you guys, we should be learning these rhetorical devices and using them ourselves. All right. So because there's a reason why he wraps everything up in this single thing, which just yeah. says you uh, like. The the only positive thing that I can get through my anger about this particular book, rather than what you're just telling me right now, is to is to say like, no, like you can like vanity of vanities. it's it's the it's the shell of the shell. it's it's absolutely it's a it's like a double negative. It's saying like there's only the only way to actually have anything that is in vanity is to go to something else. And so it's and it's entirely phrased in the negative. You look at the book and you say, okay, working under the sun, doing all these things, if I have all the skills in the world and I have not and I have not love then I am a clanging gun or clashing symbol. But his conclusion is there is no choice
1: but to be a clashing symbol. There's no alternative. and basically with Because the book, of death? Kind of. And basically basically, what he's doing is saying, and again, this is why it's in the canon, I think. What he's saying is, prove me wrong. Here's my experience. Life is meaningless. I sought after all of these things. I had more wives than you could dream of. I got more wealth. I had more weapons. I had more wisdom. Four, four W's, right? I had everything and it's meaningless. It did not make me happy. And ultimately man we see what Solomon never had was an actual relationship with God. He had the right. trappings of it, but he concluded through his own upbuilding of himself that he's God is unattainable because I'm so great and everyone I, for whatever reason but basically what what he's what the book what the whole book is doing is saying life is meaningless, everything stinks, death is final, prove me wrong. And in the great wisdom of the church, she says, all right, we'll take it. We'll prove you wrong. And right. we're going to have the gall to put this book in the canon for all times and all people to read this to probably in a lot of ways resonate with some of it. Be like, yeah, life is hard. Everything does kind of feel like vanity sometimes. Maybe it, maybe it is better to live for pleasure because, man, things are so hard and it feels so meaningless. Can anybody prove me wrong? Hmm. To which Jesus comes along
0: and he says, yes, I will take the challenge. I will call your bluff, Koheleth. I will take the Pepsi challenge and <laughs> right. I will answer your five theses. Right.
1: And I will answer them in my very person and show you that God is not abstract because I will take on flesh. To show you that death does not have the final word because I will defeat death. To show you that creation is not out to get you and meaningless because I will take upon myself all of creation. I will show you that earthly wisdom is not the answer, because there is a wisdom beyond what you have achieved, Solomon. Right. And I will embody that, so that only in me will you see, the um, only in me will you see the antidote for all of these theses. Mm. But it doesn't finally get concluded or challenged until Jesus. So the book is there in the canon because it sets the stage for Jesus, I okay. think.
0: Okay, here's my question for okay, let's let's suppose that Quahaleth, the preacher, the the head of the the quol uh, the quol. Cahal. Cahal. The gatherer. The gatherer. Let's the gatherer. Let, did he have an opportunity for repentance at the end of his life? Probably. Yeah, probably.
1: Probably. Yeah, I don't I don't you would think.
0: Yeah, because that gets us into the psalm think. which says if today you hear his voice harden not your hearts.
1: Right. And and the at the, the, the end of his life aside. I mean, you read the story of Solomon, Solomon's entire life was an opportunity to hear his voice. Right. I mean, he was I mean, God literally says to him, "What do you want?" And he's like, "I want wisdom." Like I mean, he heard his voice saying, "What do you want me to do for you?" It's like Jesus with the blind man in the gospel, right? "What do you want me to do for you?" And he's like, "Here's what I want." but he heard God's voice and what what Solomon does throughout the course of his life is harden his heart. And I actually went back to Psalm 90 thinking that this might be a Psalm of Solomon. It's actually not, which actually made it more interesting. I was wondering if Psalm 90 was attributed or about Solomon. Do you know what Psalm 90 is about or how it's attributed? No. It's a Psalm of Moses, not that Moses necessarily wrote it. Maybe he did, but it's to capture this ethos of (laughs) Israel after her sin, wandering in the desert, feeling like there is no escape. We're wandering and wandering for years and it's hard and it feels meaningless and we don't see a way out. That's what Psalm 90 is actually about. And saying, "Okay, I know that things are ugly and they stink and are dark and so difficult and you can't see out. But if today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts." Right. Like your previous generation in the desert did. Right. Like all of your ancestors did. Turn man, oh you young man turn back to dust, saying, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight, or as yesterday, now as in the past, in the watch of the night I have the long game in mind, says God. I know it's hard to see the end, but I've got the long game. Is what Psalm 90 is trying to capture for the Exodus generation.
0: I wonder if like the text messages that keep binging in the background and like all the the phone calls like I'm just watching you like go through like literally the fastest remote communications that have ever been conceived of in all of humanity. Are existing to us right now.
1: Oh, you don't mean just me.
0: Keep, yeah. I mean, I, I look at you in the midst of this, and and I realize that like the pressure for you to respond to some sort of remote reality is huge. So what happens is that 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 frames our whole experience of who we think God is. Yes. And right. and and how immediate right. our, our responses and our need for responses are. Yes. I mean, and what happens is that whenever anybody starts to get closer to the church, they realize that um, they realize how f- slow moving the church is. The church just moves slow. We are not a fast. We are not a, a limber organization.
1: <laughs> we are cumbersome. We are cumbersome. I gave a talk up at camp about how the church is cumbersome and inconvenient. Right, and, and I and, thought Camp Boy two embodied that. Because right. T was cumbersome and inconvenient,
0: right? But really good, right. right? Really, really good, but only at the long game. And that's the thing that it's so hard. I mean, Scott, how many times in our conversations when we've had difficulty with things in our lives, personally and organizationally and ecclesially? like that covers all of them, <laughs> right? Like, I, like how many times it has has like the actual beautiful things of God actually started to come about when the patience have re- returned. Because usually I'm mad because I, I don't like right. how f- how slow things or how fast things are going, and I'm like, and I want the solutions in a quick way. I don't yeah. want to wait ten years right. Right. for the for the long game to actually right. take place. I don't want to wait forty years in the desert, right? You know, and, and I don't think Kohaleth and especially uh, uh, you know Solomon as he's going through this, he do, he's like he's like I've done all of this stuff, and he's like I even tried the long game, yes. Right, but it is long game. Not the, in the eyes of the Lord, a thousand years is, is but a day, and a day is but a thousand years. So exactly, like like we we actually have to attune our hearts to 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 say, God's answers are not going to be the same as our text messages. Right, <laughs> absolutely. Which our social media. I was gonna say that's kind of what
1: Colossians is saying. It's it's not exactly but it is it's capturing
0: something of that well this is this is the crazy thing is i started looking at colossians okay. and i was and i and i said what is our goal as christians okay our goal is to live as christ lived yes and and, and what happens is that we we like it's we actually are meant to share with him his glory yeah what is the glorious because it says that when christ your life appears then you too will appear with him in glory what does that even mean but to say that means hanging on the cross probably well i mean that, that that was the primary sign of his glory yeah that was the primary expression of his glory but but those who have drawn close to the lord what do they bring into the world we look at the saints we can see it it's concretely we we name this stuff all the time they suffer like today i walked by and somebody had changed our drogo sign and they'd redone it. Um, our, the, one like our, the people, yeah, our one of our people, yeah, our chalkboard. They said they said Saint Uh-oh. Drogo, patron saint of coffee and ugly people. It said that, uh huh. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Whoa. Oh, I was like, baby. bold, bold in the bold move, bold move because <laughs> which is true, which in case is true. You didn't know. yeah, yeah. But I'm but I'm looking, and here's Drogo, and he was a, he was a good looking guy, and he was sick of getting hit on, so he asked the Lord to to help him, and he got boils all over his face. So, so he was a good looking guy who was getting macked on, who finally kind of. Macked on. All well done, 1995. Hey, what, well, what? 95 in the <laughs> hizzle. <laughs> oh, my. But I, yeah. I don't know. Th- that's where I go, like, oh, sharing with him is we actually suffer with him something. And, and all of the things that as we go along, we, we like, uh, yes, is patience, what is patience oriented towards? But, the, but to actually answer Koala but actually drogo is kind of a really interesting
1: embodiment of that because not to not to make it too explicit but what was what was drogo's problem he had physical attractiveness what some might be say was the groundwork for vanity he said, I actually don't want these things. It's it's the opposite of Kohelet. I Kohelet want poverty, says, I chastity, want more. and obedience. Kohelet says, the more vanity, the more good looks, the more wealth, the more earthly things I get, surely I will be happier, right? Right. Surely if I get wisdom in the eyes of the world or wealth or good, you know, all this stuff. And what Drogo does is the opposite. He's like, no, if I actually separate myself and disavow myself of these vanities, then I will tap into the poverty chastity will be, I will it, tab- mm. not to them, but, but what the fruit that they produce, which is what the Psalm, which is what Colossians says. If you're raised with Christ then seek what is above, right. don't seek the vanities of this earth. Right. They're fine. I mean, it, it, Colossians doesn't say how terrible everything is. It's not, we're, we're not, um, we're not Gnostics. You know, we're right. not saying everything physical is bad, but it's saying everything is physical has its place, but we need to seek what is beyond that because if the created goods are sought for their own sake, they will become vanities. That's their nature. Right. If they become our be-all, end-all, whether it be our looks or our relationships or whatever it is, our standing in the world or our wealth or whatever, it will all eventually disintegrate into vanities right. or meaninglessness or however you want to translate Ecclesiastes. And so it's fine to enjoy those things. It's fine to have them. Right. But ultimately look past them and seek what is above. And what, what Colossians is answering we talked about this weeks ago. Colossians is speaking to a people who seem to be tempted by this growing heresy that Jesus, if he really was God, could not really have died because God can't die. How can that actually, how can that even happen? That doesn't make any sense. So he surely must have just appeared to have died or like went through the motions of death to kind of make us all feel better. But what that means if that's true, if that heresy is true, docetism, which just means he just appeared to suffer and die. If that's true, then he didn't call Koheleth's bluff. He didn't actually answer the question unless death is literally, truly, actually really defeated. Mm. Unless Jesus really took on this created world that Koheleth rails against and declared it to be good again and then died in it and took it to the grave and then rose again and said, ha ha, take that suckers. Death didn't get me. Then the only final word of all human fear yeah. Isn't that scary anymore? Right. But if that but that needs to be said to the Colossians in particular, because they are being prone to not believe that. They're like, That's too
0: much. I don't, I don't know if I can buy that. Which is to say you have got to change your worldview. Take off the old self and put on the new and to say, you know what, you, you stop being afraid of what you th- this the, what, this ancient boogeyman.
1: Well, and it's also the sense that God surely can't love us that much. God God wouldn't die. I mean, how could that possibly be? God's too big. God's too great. God's too everything to actually take on our nature and die. That doesn't make any sense because we're so small and little and pathetic and, and you know, everything else we are. How could that actually be? I mean, really what, what this heresy suggests is that we are too lowly for God to love us that much. Mm. That's at, at the end of the day what this heresy ultimately says. And what, Colo- what Paul is saying to the Colossians is, No, you are that important to the God who is the God who is not distant and abstract and arbitrary like Solomon thought he was. Right. He is so real and so tangible that he will take on tangibility and actually die in it to defeat the
0: ultimately undefeatable. Which is interesting because if Jesus solved those five theses of Quoeleth, then St. Paul is saying, enter into Christ in his death, in the baptism that you were baptized. Yes. Put to death then the parts of you that are earthly. Yes, uh, these five things: immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, oh, and greed—that is idolatry. Oh me, oh my! So I wonder if if oh, if, wow. if you could actually coordinate those five from Ooh, from that's to, interesting to the five theses there. I I, I didn't see. I did, I would have studied it if I would have known, but I didn't know I didn't, until I didn't now.
1: notice it in Colossians. That's fascinating. Yeah,
0: this, that's what happens. Go the church. Go church. Yeah, <laughs> which brings us to Luke. Luke 12 13 to 21 It's time to have some fun and, and give away all your stuff. Well, so so here we have so Jesus is
1: preaching. He's he's going around. He's doing his thing. And this person in the crowd dude, who is obviously wealthy.
0: Dude, I just I don't know where I saw this this morning, but I saw a news article of, of a comedian in a small coffee house and uh, some guy was like talking and he and, and literally there were like eight people there and he was like, "Would you He's like, "Would you shut i mean be quiet and the guy literally started hitting him just like totally attacking. what him. yeah and and so oh yeah and i and so i actually just look at G- jesus he's much nicer to hecklers <laughs> like, i don't
1: think he is a heckler
0: i know teacher tell my brother to share the inheritance with me i'm not trying to put
1: people in boxes but i don't think it's a heckler i picture <laughs> what do i picture I, I kind of picture your life and I don't know what all of your meetings are life like. And I know there's lots of intense, deep theolo- spiritual things that you walk with people. But I wonder how many times you get people who are like, can you tell my wife to stop being mean? You know, or, or I don't know. I think of the petty things that people surely yeah, come that can, and like
0: that happens. Can
1: you call my professor and tell them to change my grade? <laughs> I, I don't know. But and you're just like, come <laughs> on, man. Like, seriously, <laughs> this is what we're doing. And not Uh, that that's what Jesus is necessarily thinking, but there is, he does seem to imply a pettiness to what this guy is doing. He's like, Jesus, you seem cool. He's, he obviously sees Jesus as something significant
0: or someone significant, right? Or he wouldn't be bringing his petty problems to Jesus. Right. Well, it's really interesting though. Jesus's answer is if he would have considered it for a second. Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbiter? Because he is actually that's, judge and arbiter. That's the key line that everybody misses. Like, that's the key to this whole He's story. He's like the father in heaven.
1: Right. Because, and I, I have to backtrack what I just said. And I, 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 as I'm saying and I'm realizing that I don't mean how it sounded, I think this guy has got his his priorities mixed up. But I would never want to imply that Jesus is not the kind of God who does not want us to bring all of our seemingly insignificant, petty problems too. Right. He wants all of it. He wants the whole thing. He just wants us to be properly ordered in that. And this guy just seems to want to complain and have Jesus be the, you know, just just fix it. Fix it, Jesus. And how many times do we go to Jesus, you know, in prayer and we're like, hey, here's my problem, fix it. And he's like, whoa, what do what you, t- <laughs> yeah. slow down a second, man. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Um, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And what Jesus is ultimately going to get to is, like, why do you want the inheritance? Is it because of vanity? Is it because of this meaningless thing that you're staking everything? Are you being like Koheleth? If I just get the inheritance, then I'll be happy. If you just shut my brother up and let me have this thing, then I'll be happy. Jesus, make it so. Do it,
0: magic, magic man. Okay, here we go. See, this is the thing is, is Jesus says guard against greed. Right. Now, the, in Colossians, it says the greed that is idolatry. See, what happens is that what what is idolatry, but we put anything before God. Yes, in front of, yeah. yeah,
1: What did I say? Before, but I mean, that could be taken two different ways. Yeah, yeah, in
0: front of God, in between me and God. Yeah, yeah. And coalesce, vanity of vanities, is saying, look, I put work I put life and death, I put family, I put all of my literally my, every, everything, even my you. religious dutifulness, right, I put before you. Absolutely, yes. which because is what's important distant one. and and gone. Yes. And so he says, guard against all greed for though one may be rich in the anything of the world, one's does not life consist of the world, which our gospel acclamation is blessed as the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our what is our gospel acclamation? Oh, yeah, it is.
1: I didn't I didn't even notice that. Yeah.
0: yeah it says blessed are the poor in spirit. So our for so faith. the church is framing this mm-hmm. to say, yes, OK, yeah, if you go into vanities of vanities, if you get into greed, that is idolatry, then you, what happens is that you're going to totally miss God. And God is just going to be somebody who is going to be somebody who you think is going to just Absolutely. do stuff for you. Absolutely. And then
1: it says Jesus told him a parable. And I want you to listen very carefully to this parable he tells and see if it evokes anyone from salvation history. Hey, there was a rich man who had a land that produced all this bountiful harvest. And he said, what should I do? For I don't have enough space to store all of my stuff or my harvest. So I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, storehouses. And I will say to myself, now as for you... You have so many good things stored up for so many years, rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. What is a fool? The opposite of someone wise. Mm. You fool. This night, your life will be demanded of you and the things that you have prepared to whom they belong. Thus, it will be for all those who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. I think Jesus is telling the story of King Solomon. I think if you have the ears to hear it, mm. like there was a rich man who had all of this bounty and built giant store... I mean, the plains of Megiddo, you can still find the ruins of the gigantic storehouses that Solomon built for himself. It was so well-known in Judea of the time that people know exactly what this story is. He's telling the story of Solomon, and he's saying this man... And the reason he's... It's not some distant thing. He was like, this is the embodiment of wisdom and rich and wealth and power and everything. This is the icon... And look, read Ecclesiastes. See how that went for him. Mm. See what the end of the story is. When God shows up to the wisest man in human history and says, you fool. Now this night your life is going to be demanded of you. What's your response? And his response is the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, it was all vanity. Yeah, it didn't do it. It didn't get me anywhere. And now I feel completely empty. And even my relationship with God, I've sacrificed. Mm. I don't have anything anymore. Because I've put everything. I mean, it's... Uh, this might sound like a weird thing to say, but I mean I don't know how many people actually think about this. But I mean we we long, I think as as Catholics who are or hope in who hope for the mercy of God, I long for a whole lot of deathbed conversions in this world. You know, for the people who have misprioritized their life and done things. We hope for that moment on someone's death, and the church always holds out the hope that there's always the opportunity for repentance. But the reality is the way you live your life tends to be the way that you die. Right. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so Solomon, you get the sense. And I don't know how Solomon died. I don't know if Solomon is in heaven. I hope that he is. But we don't know. But we know that he had hardened his heart for so many years, for so long, through putting all of his faith in things that are not God. Right. That he comes to the moment where God says, you fool which is probably the most loving thing that God could say to the most big headed man in salvation history Mm. to say, you fool, this life, your life is going to be demanded of you. What is his response? It's all been meaningless. It's all been worthless. Even God, it's all worthless. There's nothing. Death is too big. It's too insurmountable for me. There's nothing for me. And Jesus comes into the story and says, no, it's not too big. Death is not too insurmountable. Right. It's always, I don't know, his his whole, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Am I making any sense? You're making a ton of sense. But to not know the story of Solomon and not understand the tradition of Ecclesiastes, Jesus' words, I think, lose something pretty profound. Because he's not just speaking some arbitrary parable about some dude who's rich. He's telling the story of salvation history, of the the most important people in our lives and in our story Even they are actually teaching us something wrong sometimes. And they're heading the wrong direction. And again, we go back to your original question of why on earth in in The Plan of God did Ecclesiastes make it into the canon of Scripture? Right,
0: exactly. This
1: not very inspiring book. But it's not (laughs) inspiring, it's inspired. Right. And that's what's important about it. Because so much of salvation history, so much of Scripture is there to teach us what not to do. Don't go this way because it leads to death. Instead, go that way. Right. But, you know, we don't see scripture that way all the time. We're like, I want to read the Bible and be uplifted and have happy, smiley, rainbow, butterfly feelings in my heart. Well,
0: this, And this book does not do that. Well, this is the thing is that our paradigm is Christ who won the victory. Right. And then we read him back unto all of it. Right. And like, oh, and then you're just like, oh, yeah, man, vanity of vanities, dude. Everything sucks, dude. <laughs> And you're like, no, 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 no. This is actually what happens when you have made an idol out of everything. He's kind of made an idol out of death. I mean, that's really what the book ultimately points to.
1: Absolutely. Death has become an idol and death has become more powerful than God. And that is Koheleth's conclusion. Death is more powerful than God is. And so God is like, all right, I'll take that challenge. Yeah. And the incarnation happens and the passion happens. And he says, yeah, who's more powerful now? And that's what Paul, is it? Is it in Colossians later on where Paul talks about how Jesus made a parade out of death? I think it is. Is that Colossians? I really hope it is. Let's say it is for today. Because he he gets, and I'll I'll close on this. This is my last thought. But he, you know, parades, the whole notion of a parade was invented, I believe, by the ancient Romans. And it's not like 4th of July, like fun, happy, you know, the Shriners and their little tiny cars. The parades were invented as a way for the, that was funny. Shriners and tiny cars. Anyway. <laughs> and those hats. Um, the parades were invented for the Romans basically to show, hey, we went out and we defeated this foreign power, this army. Now we're going to bring back all their military leaders. We're going to strip them naked. We're going to put them on platforms. We're going to tie them up and we're going to parade them through the streets of the city to show how powerful we are and how much they stink and how they have been defeated. That's what parades were. That's where they come from. And so in Colossians, Paul says, Jesus to Romans, or Roman people in Colossae, he says, Jesus made a parade out of death. And so he says, when you look at the cross, what you're supposed to see is not Jesus defeated, hanging in pain, getting beat up. I mean, some of that, yes. You're supposed to see the parading of death and it's victory against it. What's placed up on the cross, death is, for us all to look at with scorn and say, you thought you were in charge and now you're not. Mm. It's like a military commander who is too big for his britches that has been placed on parade for us all to laugh at which sounds like such a weird way to say that, but that's what Paul says Jesus did on the cross. He put death on parade so that we could mock it. And I maybe we shouldn't mock it, but Jesus in the resurrection in a certain sense does. He's like, ha, take that. Right. Which, again, it's the answer to Koheleth's, cry i suppose which is not just kohalath it really is the cry of so I, much of humanity
0: i would say that it's the answer to kohalath's bitter citizens cynicism
1: yes which is humanity's cry right is bitter cynicism about the defeatism
0: of life and right death. which boy howdy lord deliver us from lord that. deliver us
1: and boy howdy he has <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i mean that, that's that's yeah. the whole point like you don't have to hope for it anymore. It's already done. Right. And that's all, Paul's whole point in Colossians is that this is not some abstract longing that you have to put out there. I mean, Man, I hope for some day the death could be defeated. I hope I don't have to be afraid for everything in life. I hope that there's some day that I don't have to be weighed down by all this stuff. Paul's like, no, it already happened. Mm. I know it doesn't feel like mm. it. And you still have to deal with it. Mm. But you don't have to hope for it anymore because it already took place. Yes. We still hope in many things. But the defeat of death is already done. That's already, it's accessible. It's within our reach. Yep. That's why Matthew says, you have only to reach out and grasp it. Take right. it. Paul says it in Romans too, right? Yep. We have access finally to this grace in which we stand. Yeah. So take it, Koheleth. And I hope Koheleth is in heaven. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that there was a moment and he was like, maybe it's not meaningless. Maybe my life has become meaningless because I've ignored what is meaningful. I don't know. We hope for that, I suppose. That's where we can place our hope speaking of hope
0: <laughs> dude <laughs> oh. man uh, some days i wish you were a deacon <laughs> i don't know why i laughed at that <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> oh, uh, that's so john willing yeah so you guys that was totally awesome um scott thank you for that insight man and Thank I, you like, for like yours. I'm, a, I'm 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 kind of lit up i feel like i know what it means better and to be a christian right now wow me too thank wow. you kohelith yeah.
1: Which, again, how beautiful, though, that this really depressing, dark book that ticked you off. Makes me angry. Actually, if you can tap into it, though, you're like, oh, that actually shows me how to be a better Christian. Right. I, I get it
0: now. Right. But anyway. He answers we'll, the question. He answers the question. Hey, final shout out um, to everybody I met at Napa. Napa. We, Napa. Institute was awesome this last week. And um, and uh, you guys are all awesome. Keep it real. Don't fake the fun. See you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast
1: is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org AICT, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.